Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you might be on this day, and welcome to another edition of our Viato podcast. We've started this special series of podcasts called Retail Revival to bring you the latest thinking on managing through the COVID-19 pandemic and to get ready for what we all know will be brighter days in the future in our traditionally cyclical industry of automotive retail. Today, we're joined by a good friend of the Viato family and one of the smartest dealers that I know from Stevens Nissan in Harrisonburg, Virginia, Jake Sotikoff. Jake is the chairman of the NCM Velocity 20 Group. He's also a board member of the Virginia Auto Dealers Association and an alumnus of the University of Arizona in Tucson. So, Jake, welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me. Happy to be a part of this and feeling very fortunate that we are having some success and for bringing me on. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the things that we all want to do is to get to know Jake a little bit better. So tell us about you. One of the things I noticed was your post on LinkedIn about your assignment in fifth grade writing about wanting to be a car dealer. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So youngest of four brothers, uh, my father is Stephen, and my whole life has been spent in the car business, You know, starting washing cars at 11 years old changing oil at 15, selling cars at 16, and selling cars all throughout college. And got a real passion for it. I love it. Assignment that you're talking about, you know, I knew at a young age that I wanted to be a car dealer. I did not realize that it started as early as 10 years old. I was in fifth grade. You know, when I get to have my first car store, I called it, all the skills and attributes that I'll need to work on in my education and being able to give back and thank my teachers when that happens. So you know, I feel very fortunate at the age of 29, was able to become the dealer of Steven Nissan. You know, we purchased the store back in April of 2018. So very passionate about the industry and in my spare time, love to cook, you know, passionate griller and traveler and all sorts of wild adventures. I noticed that an advanced certificate in European gourmet cuisine. Yeah. Right after college, went to Switzerland, spent six months in Switzerland learning how to cook. And ever since then, you know, I take cooking to the next level. So (laughs) (laughs) sometimes I think that I run the car dealership to support my passion for cooking. Well, I think we all have to know, what do you grill on? You know, I use live fire and that's kind of a crazy South American concept. But also when I worked in the service department, some of the techs taught me how to weld and for some reason, I've stuck with welding and I love to build things. So I actually fabricate my own grills. And you know, I've got a big trailer that I have with a smoker on it. I've got a custom built stainless grill contraption. And I'm currently working on a eight foot tall, five foot round fire dome contraption. Wow. That's really cool. So you can follow me on my Instagram and get a few insights and you know, check out some of the pictures. But yeah, it's it's more than just a hobby. It's a, it's a passion, that's for sure. Well, tell us a little bit about your store. Maybe where we start is, you know, what were you doing in terms of monthly, maybe new used vehicle volume before the beginning of the pandemic? And like, what are you doing today? Sure. So I think if you don't mind, I'm going to take it back to April of 2018. Sure. And give you, you know, brief history. So we bought the store. It was a underperforming Nissan store in Harrisonburg, Virginia. They were averaging about 70 cars a month, new and used. And they had, I don't remember what the actual count was. You know, it was like 90 used units in stock. And that was the biggest point of contention between me and the dealer when we were negotiating because his average age of a used vehicle was over 200 days old. And wow. Yeah. So 
we ended up purchasing every single unit that he had in stock. And this is where it all began. So being a, a velocity dealer, this is before the age of profit time really being prolific. And we inherited it. Every single one of those units was sold by the end of May. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, we took our foundation and what we know how to retail cars and price cars and the units that sat on that dealer's lot for over 200 days on average, we were able to move in about 50 days, every single one of them. And that's where it all began. So fast forward, we've had some major success. We've averaged about 75 used cars a month. In our best month in the past two years, we did 96 used retail. That was February of last year. It's very much a used car focused store. We do two to one used to new, and that's our passion. We're passionate about used cars. We like to buy them. We like to sell them, and we take it very seriously how we approach the market. And how's April going? Our story is similar to a lot of dealer stories. You know, mid-March, we started to experience the squeeze that coronavirus was putting on our market and the fear that everybody was having. And I really think that this story is best described by the rolling 30-day sales report that's in Viato. And you can see it paints this picture very clearly. We were gearing up for a phenomenal March. We were on track to have the best month that we've had since being in business. And at one point, mid-March, we had 89 units in stock. We were selling about, I think, 79 was our highest rolling 30, and it was climbing. And all of a sudden, it looks like a mountain. Our inventory is climbing. It's climbing. It's climbing. And then the rolling 30-day sales are falling, if you can follow me. So the rolling 30-day sales started going as low as 56 units on a rolling 30-day sale rate. Meanwhile, we've got 80-something units in stock. And this gap between our rolling 30-day sales and our inventory is getting bigger, which is starting to scare the crap out of me. Because I know that, you know, from a foundation standpoint, the further out of whack your inventory is from your rolling 30-day sales, that creates age. You know, in a very short version, we reduced our prices. And as of yesterday, being the first day, we actually eclipsed that point where our rolling 30-day sales is higher than our inventory count, the exact position that I want to be in. And what that's done has put us on the right track. We're pacing 128 units in the month of April, which would obviously be a record April and would be one unit off of our 129 car record that we had in the last two years. One of the things that I know you've been really focused on is a strategy around liquidating your inventory. So what factors led you to begin to follow that strategy? When all of this started happening mid-March, you know, I called Dale for insights and help. And <laughs> yeah, he, he's been he's been very difficult to reach. He's been in every kind of meeting and economist meeting and Cox meeting. And this guy, he, he's got full insights more than anybody. And so I'm just trying to think about, you know, I'm hearing what he's telling me. And it starts occurring to me, well, you know, my inventory is climbing and I'm not selling any car. And here I hear, you know, the wholesale situation that's going on. And it starts making me really nervous because I understand that, you know, what could potentially happen with the used values as the market freezes. So I made the decision to move as many units out as I possibly could just to hedge my losses, because I know that, you know, the losses that I were to take two weeks ago 
are going to be less than the losses that I take 30 days, 60 days from now as the market kind of awakens. That was the logic behind the thought process is I need cash. I need to reduce my inventory. And then when I do reduce my inventory and I have this cash, I will be able to buy at the bottom of the wholesale market and I'll be able to price those cars competitively while undercutting my competition who is still working on unburying themselves in aged inventory. And those late model, low mileage, riskier units, they're really kind of at the whim of a finicky consumer. It was pretty specific. So I've got a bunch of different views set up in provision. And you know, I look at things from different perspectives to try to understand the shape of my inventory, the health of my inventory. And the first thing I did, realizing that you know, in any market, late model, expensive, low mileage stuff is the riskiest inventory that I have. That inventory changes so rapidly with the market. And we often end up being in that at a higher cost to market than the cheaper stuff. I sorted by price, high to low, and I took and chopped every single one of those units over $20,000 that was sorted priced high to low and just took those prices down in the dumps to move them out. And realizing that I could take that high dollar inventory, take that money and reinvest it you know, in the future. So that was the first place I went. How far down were you discounting your price? On average, I discounted them anywhere from five to eight points in price to market. And that was enough while other dealers were frozen, you know, dealers were trying to make decisions. Most dealers, I think at the time, were probably under the assumption, you know, I'm just going to wait and see what happens and I'm not going to make any drastic decisions. So it put me as kind of a competitive advantage while other dealers were holding firm. I was, I was moving the market towards my store. Right, exactly. But this process, this strategy had to result in a loss for your used vehicle department, didn't it? You would think so. But because of the timing, the retail market, as you know, hasn't had a correction yet. The retail prices are still holding strong. Because I did that at the time and the retail prices were still strong, I was still able to maintain a margin. And you know, I lost money on some cars, no doubt about it. But as a whole, my average gross profit remained as good as it's been in the last 60 days. And what we see, it keeps climbing. So you were out ahead of the competition in moving your inventory and you were able to maintain gross on the cars that you're selling this month in April of 2020. Correct. You said the average price to market adjustment was five to 8%. Have you seen that now change since you've started moving some of your inventory or has it been staying pretty much the same to keep you ahead of the market in your area? Yeah, we've kept it low. We want to stay ahead of this thing. And it seems like every day there's changes in the media, there's changes that we see in the market. And right now for the short term, we want to we want to stay competitive and we want to still have that advantage until that advantage is no longer there. Then we're going to go back to more of a profit time pricing strategy. Hopefully as things become normalized, we'll be able to get back to doing business as we were. But when that happens, I have no idea. You mentioned the area that you're in, and, and you're in the state of Virginia. I think your governor, earlier than most, was out early with a stay-at-home shelter-in-place proposal through parts of May into mid-May, something like that. But you've still been able to retail cars in this environment? Yeah, so he early on 
suggested a stay at home. You put a stay at home, you know, suggestion out there. I don't know what you want to call it. And then about a week later, he put a shelter in place, stay at home order. I don't quite know the difference, but there was a difference, you know, with Virginia's order, executive 53 order, uh, non-essential businesses were required to close restaurants, obviously only open for takeout. And, you know, there's a lot of restaurants or businesses in the area that are still closed and non-operational. So fortunately sales was deemed an essential aspect of Virginia. And we've been able to, I don't want to call it operate business as usual, but we have been able to operate and continue operations normally, although we're not allowed to have any more than 10 customers in our showroom at any one given point. And believe it or not, we've actually had to uh, ask customers to either wait outside or put them in our service building that's disconnected so they have a place to wait. So going to your store was like going to Costco. Yeah, exactly. Like in, a, in, a, <laughs> in a wait in line. In a safe environment. Your work with the Virginia Auto Dealers Association, was that instrumental in keeping auto retail as an essential part of the economy there? Or was it already considered that through the executive order? Don Hall and his team at the VADA, you know, Virginia is, has largely been considered one of the strongest in the country. Yeah, I would agree. Absolutely. And this really solidified it because every state around us was getting shut down. You know, Maryland, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, all of the states in the surrounding area had been deemed sales non-essential. And so on Friday, we had a board meeting with the VADA and we didn't know how it was going to go. And fortunately, the uh, governor swayed in our favor and Don Hall through a lot of activity he got it done for us and uh, that was instrumental in our success. So big shout out to those guys. It's great to have that association in your state and in other states and working on behalf of you know our, our industry. Let's switch thinking now to acquiring inventory, right? So you've done a tremendous job, you know, kind of staying ahead of your market, liquidating the inventory that you had. Very, very smart way to think about your used vehicle department. So now you have to find cars to sell as your inventory's being depleted. So how are you valuing trades? How are you thinking about cars at auction? What are you seeing right now? Tell you a quick story that was really scary. So we had this grand strategy, you know, I had typed up an action report for my staff, some marching orders as far as how we're going to sell these cars. And a week later, we started reviewing our trade appraisals. And, you know, we have a save a deal, a save an appraisal meeting every day. And I hadn't been a participant. You know, I just, I had had way too much going on, you know, trying to figure out all the new stuff that was hitting. And so I sat in on this and I saw that our trade appraisals were coming in at a higher cost to market than the inventory that we had. You know, I call it the legacy inventory, the pre-corona inventory. And so all of a sudden we're starting to realize that we're just perpetuating this problem because we're still paying high money and putting huge money in these trades that all it was going to do was exaggerate it and carry the problem on. At that moment in time was kind of like a, uh, oh, wow, we got to do something to change it. Otherwise, we're actually just on a hamster wheel. We're going to be constantly trying to move out high cost of market inventory. So that happened. And to answer your question, how to value, how we're valuing trades, it's not easy. It's trying to look into a crystal ball that is filled with snowy stuff that you can't even see through. There's no insight into how to do it. You know, at anything, it's an educated guess. 
What about auction? Have you gone to auction in the last few weeks? And what's been your experience? Yeah, we have. So we follow the Mannheim retention report that Mannheim is obviously publishing. You know, that shows it's anywhere from what, 8 to 12% uh, retention to MMR. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the tricky part and the downside that I don't understand with the Mannheim retention report is that we don't have any insight into actually what MMR is as a whole is doing. We, we know how close the retention number is, but for example, you know, we purchased a rogue and this was several weeks ago. We purchased this rogue MMR was 17,000. Well, we recently sold the rogue and we purchased that rogue several thousand dollars behind MMR. Well, when we sold it, the money that we paid was actually what MMR was at the time that we sold it. So MMR had dropped 3000 bucks on this particular vehicle. The Mannheim retention report only indicates how close the connection is between what the MMR number and what is actually selling. But I didn't have any insight outside of this one example of knowing what MMR was actually doing on that particular vehicle. What are your plans to grow your inventory over the next few weeks, few months? We're being very careful about what we're buying. We're looking and following the market every single day. You know, now more than ever, we're meeting with our Stockwave performance manager, Scott Sadler, who really bright guy, really intuitive, and he's following the market closer than we are. So between meeting with him and following all the market data and trends that we can see, we're trying to buy cars back of MMR as we possibly can. And our team of buyers is working daily to make sure that the vehicles that we're buying are going to put us in a position to be competitive in the next few weeks. So you mentioned, you know, not having more than 10 people in the showroom at a time and selling in a safe and socially distant manner. Describe what you're doing or, you know, I've heard some of our clients are doing home deliveries, home test drives. Are, are you trying to do anything like that or you get enough people in the showroom that those type of things aren't necessary? We've made a big push and in a timely fashion, you know, we, we kind of split our sales floor. We, we came out with a internet salesperson strategy and this was before Corona and this was several months ago. And those guys on our floor have really stepped up in a big way and they have been delivering vehicles all over the state. I'm talking two, three hours away and we've been delivering vehicles to you know, for example, one was a nurse in Charlottesville, an hour outside of our market. You would deliver vehicles to Seneca Rocks, West Virginia, Lynchburg, Virginia, all over the place. And it's allowed us to, you know, employ new strategies that I knew that we could do. And I truthfully believe that, you know, more dealers that start doing things like that, it's going to start really putting a hindrance on Carvana's growth strategy. It's given me some confidence moving forward that we can get it done and execute on that. Now, you said you were doing some of these things before the pandemic. Obviously, you might think that these approaches and methods will continue once people begin to move more freely again. Yeah, I saw this as an opportunity for us in 2020, regardless. Obviously, I didn't know that that we were going to be dealing with all this, but I realized that there was a certain segment of the market that probably didn't want to come into car dealerships anymore. And, you know, Carvana proved it was selling 100,000 used vehicles last year in the country. So, I figured, you know, if there's a hundred thousand folks that wanted to do it, I was going to offer it as a service for the folks that did. So I believe that moving forward, the new normal people aren't going to want to leave their house. They're going to come to expect things like this. And, you know, if we don't provide that kind of service, then we're just going to be left in the dust. 
I know we've been really focused on used in our conversation so far. What are your thoughts on how aggressive the car manufacturers have been in their response to this crisis? And how do you see that unfolding? So I think that they have done what they can. And I say that loosely because, you know, they're in the thick of this as much as we are. And, and I have major empathy for what they're going through. And the new car manufacturers, they only make money when they wholesale vehicles to dealers. When their production has been completely cut, they don't have any revenue streams coming in. So I have full appreciation and full empathy for what they're doing. And, you know, understand that they're doing a lot of the similar stuff, you know, no payments for 90 days strong incentive, 0% for 84 months. I think all that is a good effort. You know, my concern moving forward is what's the inventory level going to look like, you know, as production ramps back up, hopefully they'll use this as an opportunity to produce more of what the consumers want rather than what they want to produce to make the market a little bit more efficient. NADA said on a webinar the other day, a 95 day supply of new cars and dealers to a healthier level of closer to 60 days. We believe that's going to allow us to do that in our stores and be a little bit more efficient moving forward. One of the things I love about our industry, Jake, is just who you guys are in the community. How are things in your area of the country and Harrisonburg and your community? And are you doing anything to reach out to the community and care for all the people around you? Our community has really stepped up in a big way. And fortunately, we've had very low cases in our community. You know, as of yesterday, I think out of, you know, 150,000 people, there was about 300 cases. I say that because we haven't had a major impact in the community. We've really tried to focus on helping the folks that are fearful of coming out by offering to pick up vehicles and deliver vehicles back to have recalls performed, to have service work performed. Anything that the community needs from a car aspect, we have lowered our prices in our service department to try to ease some of the concerns and ease some of the pain that they might be feeling because a lot of folks still do rely on their vehicles. And you know, there's a lot of agriculture in this area and a lot of industries that people are needing to get back and forth to work. So we have done everything we can to remain open. And we've done everything we can to make it easy to do business with and keep our customers on the road. What would you say your lessons learned are over the last 30, 45 days? You got to run a tight ship. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I feel very fortunate that as an organization, our three stores do a really good job. And I know that keeping the inventory levels as close to our rolling 30 as possible and keeping all the inventory, you know, parts inventory and everything else in check has allowed us to be in a really strong cash position. You know, not that we're not nervous, we're very nervous, but it has definitely eased our concerns about what the future looks like. Jake, thank you very much for joining us today. I think all of our listeners really will understand what a smart, thoughtful, great dealer that you are. So thanks very much for your time today. No, I appreciate it. And uh, if anybody wants to reach out to me directly, I'll be happy to jump on a call and share some strategy. Love to do it and appreciate everything that you guys do for us, you know, from the performance managers, Stockway performance managers. You know, I just, we can't get enough meetings with those guys and, and you guys keeping us informed without all of that access and data just wouldn't make it possible. So. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. It's our pleasure to be a partner through this pandemic and we're going to all come back out on the other side of this thing stronger. 
Yeah. And, you know, Randy, if you're in the area and you want to get a grilling lesson. <laughs> I am all over your Instagram already. Absolutely. I need some grilling tips. If you want to come get some grilling tips and share a meal, I would love to host you. Well, that's great. Absolutely. I, I absolutely will take you up on that. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks, Jake. Have a great day. Okay. Take care.